Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And welcome to the Antiques Freak special presentation of Varney the Vampire, Chapter 3. <laughs> now, when we last left Varney, he was trying to get out of a paper cup, I think. <laughs> he was a daddy long legs trapped in your sink. <laughs> Just unable <laughs> to surmount that wall. Jumping, sliding down, getting up, and jumping again. Finally reaching the top of the wall, only to be shot by Henry or possibly George. I think it was Henry? Or Mr. March. No, Mr. Marchdale gave one of the boys the gun. Yes. Okay. So we are on to chapter three, the disappearance of the body, Flora's recovery and madness, the offer of assistance from Sir Francis Varney, which I guess, given the name, we should be a little suspicious of. You don't think Mr. Francis Varney can help us fight Varney the vampire? I'm thinking Sir Francis Varney knows more than he's letting on. He has not entered the text yet. <laughs> he is human, cried Henry. I have surely killed him. It would seem so, said Mr. Marchdale. Let us now hurry round to the outside of the wall and see where he lies. This was at once agreed to, and the whole three of them made what expedition they could towards a gate which led into a paddock across which they hurried and soon found themselves clear of the garden wall so that they could make way towards where they fully expected to find the body of him who had worn so unearthly an aspect, but who it would be an excessive relief to find was human. One sentence. So hurried was the progress they made that it was scarcely possible to exchange many words as they went. A kind of breathless anxiety was upon them, and in the speed they disregarded every obstacle which would, at any other time, have probably prevented them from taking the direct road they sought. They're running across the lawn. Just running. It's going to be like five entire seconds. It was difficult on the outside of the wall to say exactly which was the precise spot which it might be supposed the body had fallen on, but by following the wall in its entire length, surely they would come upon it. They did so, but to the surprise they got from its commencement to its further extremity without finding any dead body, or even any symptoms of one having lain there. What? As some parts close to the wall there grew a kind of heath, and consequently the traces of blood would be lost among it, if it so happened that at the precise spot at which the strange being had seemed to topple over, such vegetation had existed. This was to be ascertained. But now, after traversing the whole length of the wall twice, they came to a halt and looked wonderingly in each other's faces. Instead of their butts. <laughs> there is nothing here, said Harry. Nothing, added his brother. It could not have been a delusion, at length, said Mr. Marchdale, with a shudder. A delusion? Exclaimed the brother! <laughs> Which brother? There's two of them. <laughs> the quotation part is a question mark. And the sentence exclaimed the brother ends in an exclamation point. Yeah, you know, standard. That is not possible. We all saw it. Then what terrible explanation can we give? All of your explanations will be terrible. By heavens, I know not, exclaimed Henry. This adventure surpasses all belief. But for the great interest we have in it, I should regard it with a world of curiosity. It is too dreadful, said George. For God's sake, Henry, let us return to ascertain if poor Flora is killed. My senses, said Henry, were all so much absorbed in gazing at that horrible form that I never once looked towards her further than to see that she was, to appearance, dead. God help her, poor, beautiful Flora. This is indeed a sad, sad fate for you to come to, Flora Flora. Do not weep, Henry, said George. Rather, let us now hasten home, where we might find that here is our premature. She may yet be living and restored to us. 
And, said Mr. Marchdale, she may be able to give us some account of this dreadful visitation. True, true, exclaimed Henry. We will hasten home. Henry has a habit of doubling up his words that I expect was very convenient for an author <laughs> who was paid by the word. Yeah, this guy has a really bad stutter. Uh, it's just a character. You can't really, like, fight me on this one. <laughs> they now turned their steps homeward, and as they went, they much blamed themselves for all leaving home together, and with terror pictured what might occur in their absence to those who were now totally unprotected. Yeah, so now they're realizing that their mom had a point when she begged them all not to go as they left one by one. Yes. The tears of their mother did nothing, but uh, it took them like an hour to <laughs> realize that when your mother's crying, something's wrong. Also that you definitely just left your sister bleeding out on the floor. <laughs> just bleeding out on the floor. Not even important. Oh, man. <laughs> it was a rash impulse of us all to come in pursuit of this dreadful figure, remarked Mr. Marchdale. But do not torment yourself, Henry. There may be no reason for your fears, except all the blood. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. At the pace they went, they very soon reached the ancient house, and when they came inside of it, they saw lights flashing from the windows and the shadows of faces moving to and fro, indicating that the whole household was up and in a state of alarm. And having a rave, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's with the flashing lights? They got the fucking strobes on. Henry, after some trouble, got the hall door opened by a terrified servant who was trembling so much that she could scarcely hold the light she had with her. Speak at once, Martha! That servant gets a name, but not their mother? Right? Jesus. <laughs> Speak at once, Martha, said Henry. Is Flora living? Yes, but... Enough, enough! Thank God she lives. Where is she now? In her own room, Mr. Henry. Oh dear, oh dear, what will become of us all? Henry rushed up the staircase, followed by George and Mr. Marchdale. Nor paused, okay. Nor paused he once. Un oh, God, this sucks. Nor paused <laughs> he once until he reached the room of his sister. You can say his sister's room. We have apostrophes to indicate possession. It's no, fine. I would. I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. Mother, he said before he crossed the threshold. Are you here? I am, my dear. I am. Come in. Pray. Come in and speak to poor Flora. Come in, Mister Marchdale," said Henry. "Come in." We make no stranger of you, despite describing you as a stranger. Yeah, despite the fact that the narrative <laughs> referred to him once as the stranger in the yeah. previous chapter. Yeah, well, now, now they're disavowing that reaction. They all then entered the room. Several lights had, now, had been now brought into the antique chamber, and, in addition to the mother of the beautiful girl who had been so fearfully visited, there were two female domestics who appeared to be in the greatest possible fright, for they could render no assistance, whatever, to anybody. To useless women. These fucking useless <laughs> voids are hanging around. Oh, God. The tears were streaming down the mother's face, and the moment she saw Mr. Marchdale, she clung to his arm, evidently unconscious of what she was about, and exclaimed, Oh, what is this that has happened? What is this? Tell me, Marchdale. Robert Marchdale. <laughs> you, you, Whoa. <laughs> you whom I have no full name, Robert Marchdale. So the readers know, you whom I have known even from my childhood, you will not deceive me. Tell me the meaning of all this. I cannot, he said in a tone of much emotion. As God is my judge, I am as much puzzled and amazed at the scene that has taken place here tonight as you can be. The mother wrung her hands and wept. It was the storm that first awakened me, added Marchdale, even though no one had asked. And then I heard a scream. <laughs> 
We remember in the previous chapter when everyone met in the hallway and said, did you hear a scream? <laughs> Roughly 400 times. <laughs> the brothers tremblingly approached the bed. Flora was placed in a sitting, half-reclining posture, propped up by pillows. She was quite insensible, and her face was fearfully pale, while that she breathed at all could be but very faintly seen. On some of her clothing about the neck were spots of blood, and she looked more like one who had suffered some long and grievous illness than a young girl in the prime of life and in the most robust health, as she had been on the day previous to the strange scene we have recorded. You can just say yesterday. The word yesterday exists. No. The day previous to the strange scene we've recorded. Oh my god. Does she sleep? said Henry, as a tear fell from his eyes upon her pallid cheek. No, replied Mr. Marchdale. This is a swoon from which we must recover her. <laughs> Sorry, you want to take that word again? <laughs> yeah, this is a swoon <laughs> from which swoon? we must recover her. A swoon. A swoon? <laughs> yes, yeah, she's in a swoon. <laughs> a swoon. <laughs> Active measures were now adopted to restore the languid circulation, and after persevering in them for some time, they had the satisfaction of seeing her open her eyes. Her first act upon consciousness returning, however, was to utter a loud shriek, and it was not until Henry implored her to look around her and see that she was surrounded by none but friendly faces that she would venture again to open her eyes and look timidly from one to the other. Then she shuddered and burst into tears as she said, Oh, heaven have mercy upon me, heaven have mercy upon me, and save me from that dreadful form. There is no one here, Flora, said Mr. Marchdale, but those who love you, and who, very forward, Mr. Marchdale, and who, in defense of you, if needs were, would lay down their lives. Oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> you have been terrified, but tell us distinctly what has happened. You are quite safe now. So I don't think she's exclaiming, oh, God, in response to the vampire. I think it's in response to Mr. Marchdale, the stranger. <laughs> Coming into her bedroom and saying, I love you and I would die for you. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. She trembled so violently that Mr. Marchdale recommended that some stimulant should be given to her. I, I gave her some X. <laughs> Wait, okay. She's shaking. Give her uppers? Yeah, upper up. She's she's so anxious. We need to make this worse. No, no. She trembled so violently that Mr. Marchdale recommended that some stimulant should be given to her, and he gave her some no-dos, and she was persuaded, although not without considerable difficulty, to swallow a small portion of some wine from a cup. Wait. It's not a stimulant. Wait. Wait, wine- wine is not a stimulant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there could be no doubt that the stimulating effect of the wine was beneficial. For a slight accession of color visited her cheeks, and she spoke in a firmer tone as she said, Do not leave me. Oh, do not leave me, any of you. I shall die if left alone now. Oh, save me, save me. That horrible form, that fearful face. Hey, so who who drinks a glass of wine and is like, Oh yeah, I'm ready to go. Get up and go. I mean me, basically. <laughs> do you know? I'm just kidding, I don't drink wine. What do I look like, bouge? Mr. Bougie? Whoa. Whoa. Judgy. Lady Bougelard? No way. You get turned down a rosé if it shows up in front of you? I will. You bring me some steel reserve, or oh, God help me, I will slap you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> How about some nice hard cider? I love a hard cider. You got me there. Okay. We, we can compromise. The stimulating effect of hard cider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she gave her some Red's apple. Or would you rather endeavor to get some sleeps first, suggested Mr. Marchdale? 
No, 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 she said. I do not think I shall ever sleep again. Say not so. You will be more composed in a few hours, and then you can tell us what has occurred. I will tell you now. I will tell you now. She placed her hands over her face for a moment, as if to collect her scattered thoughts, and she added, I was awakened by the storm, and I saw that terrible apparition at the window. I think I screamed, but I could not fly. <laughs> oh, God, I could not fly. Um. It came. It seized me by the hair. I know no more. I know no more. She passed her hand across her neck several times, and Mr. Marchdale said, in an anxious voice, You seem, Flora, to have hurt your neck. There is a wound. A wound, said the mother. And she brought a light close to the bed, where all... All saw on the side of Flora's neck a small punctured wound. Or rather two. For there was one a little distance from the other. Which is how things work when there's two instead of one. <laughs> it was from these wounds the blood had come, which was observable upon her night clothing. How came these wounds, said Henry. It was from these wounds the blood had come, which was observable upon her night clothing. You could not possibly construct a more passive sentence. <laughs> It's really good, right? It's really good. This this is actually a really good, like, cautionary tale for why not to use passive voice unless it's important to the story. Well, it's also, like, there there are plenty of times when the passive voice is, like, fine and can be used intentionally and effectively, or even sometimes it is the most effective way to communicate an idea. But it was from these wounds the blood had come, which was observable upon her night clothing. Like, what... On God, that is, yeah, that that voice is so passive it done died. <laughs> <laughs> How came these wounds? said Henry. I do not know, she replied. I feel very faint and weak, as if I had almost bled to death. You cannot have done so, dear Flora, for there are not above a half dozen, half a dozen spots of blood to be seen at all. That's actually a fair amount of blood for a person. Mr. Marchdale, <laughs> like... You don't have a terrible lot. There are only six blood splotches on your clothes, so most of your blood is probably still on your body. What? Eh, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. Anyway, go to bed, Flora. <laughs> Mr. Marchdale leaned against the carved head of the bed for support, and he uttered a deep groan. Okay. All eyes were turned upon him, and Henry said in a voice of the most anxious inquiry, You have something to say, Mr. Marchdale, which will throw some light upon this affair. No, 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 nothing, cried Mr. Marchdale, rousing himself at once from the appearance of depression that had come over him. I have nothing to say, but that I think Flora had better get some sleep if she can. No sleep, no sleep for me, again screamed Flora. Screamed. She screamed it. I'm not going to scream it. <laughs> I, I live in a society. <laughs> I know, I just want everyone to keep in mind. Dare I be alone to sleep? But you shall not be alone, dear Flora, said Henry. I will sit by your bedside and watch you. That makes me more uncomfortable, she said. <laughs> she took his hand in both hers, and while the tears chased each other down her cheeks, she said, Promise me, Henry, by all your hopes of heaven, you will not leave me. I promise I'm going to hell anyway. She gently laid herself down with a deep sigh and closed her eyes. She is weak and will sleep long, said Mr. Marchdale. You sigh, said Henry. Some fearful thoughts, I feel certain, oppress your heart. Hush, hush, said Mr. Marchdale as he pointed to Flora. Hush! Not here, not here. I understand, said Henry. Let us sleep. There was a silence of some few minutes' duration. Great. Flora had dropped into a deep slumber. That silence was first broken by George, who said, Mr. Marchdale, look upon that portrait. He pointed to the portrait in the frame to which we have alluded. <laughs> All right! Okay, most egregious offense so far. 
the subtle illusion. Just broke the. F- hey, check out that portrait. Just broke the fourth wall to let me know that a character is pointed at the portrait. The portrait that was mentioned half a sentence ago. At the- <sighs> he pointed to the portrait in the frame. You could say it. <laughs> no, Kim, please. It- we have a word for this. He pointed to it. <laughs> no one needs pronouns, Ken. God. He pointed to the portrait in the frame to which we have alluded, and the moment Marchdale looked at it, he sunk into a chair as he explained, Gracious heaven, how like! It is, it is, said Henry, those eyes, and see the contour of the countenance and the strange shape of the mouth. Exact, exact! That picture shall be moved from here. The sight of it is at once sufficient to awaken all her former terrors in poor Flora's brain if she should chance to awaken and cast her eyes suddenly upon it. And is it so like him who came here? said the mother. It is the very man himself, said Mr. Marchdale. I have not been in this house long enough to ask any of you whose portrait that may be. It is, said Henry, the portrait of Sir Runagate Bannerworth, an ancestor of ours, who first, by his vices, gave the great blow to the family prosperity. Sir Runagate Bannerworth. Sir Runagate Bannerworth. Indeed. How long ago? About ninety years. Ninety years. "'Tis a long while, ninety years. You muse upon it." Not really in England. It's not, yeah, it's not. You muse upon it. No, no, I do wish, and yet I dread. What? To say something to you all, but not here, not here. We will hold a consultation on this matter tomorrow. Not now, not now. (laughs) Everyone's got a really bad stutter. Yeah. The daylight is coming quickly on, said Henry. I shall keep my sacred promise of not moving from this room until Flora awakens. But there can be no occasion for the detention of any of you. One is sufficient here. Go, all of you, and endeavor to procure what rest you can. I will fetch you my powder flask and bullets, said Mr. Marchdale. And you can, if you please, reload the pistols. Your pistols, Mr. Marchdale. Yeah, seriously, you reload <laughs> so you them. You fucking reload your own guns. In about two hours more, it will be broad daylight. That, what is that? What is the connection between reloading the pistols and the day happening? It was already enough daylight in the air for them to clearly see one, Varney trying and failing to escape the garden, and two, for them to feel satisfied that they had made a thorough search of the property and found nothing. (laughs) God. This arrangement was adopted. Henry did reload the pistols, even though it wasn't his fucking job or his pistols, and placed them on a table by the side (laughs) of the bed. Ready for immediate action. And then, as Flora was sleeping soundly, he fired them in every direction. (laughs) All left the room (laughs) but himself. Mrs. Bannerworth, which is the mother, was the last to do so. She would have remained, but for the earnest solicitation of Henry, that she would endeavor to get some sleep to make up for her broken night's repose. And she was indeed so broken down by her alarm on Flora's account, that she had not power to resist with tears flowing from her eyes, she sought her own chamber. And now the calmness of the night resumed its sway in that evil, fated mansion. And although no one really slept but Flora, all were still. Busy thought kept everyone else wakeful. It was a mockery to lie down at all. What? <laughs> it was a mockery to lie down at all. And Henry, full of strange and painful feelings as he was, is bidding puberty, <laughs> preferred his present position to the anxiety and apprehension on Flora's account, which he knew he should feel if she were not within the sphere of his own observation, and she slept as soundly as some gentle infant tired of its playmates and its sports. End chapter three. Incredible.
Oh man, so D, how how are you feeling about Varney so far? I think it's pretty crafty that he gave all the characters a severe stutter just to like pad out the word count. <laughs> I like that. Oh man, this guy would have killed at National Novel Writing Month. Dude, he would have gotten the word count. 50,000 words? Shut up and watch me yeah, go. Yeah, stand back. <laughs> oh, uh, I am excited that uh, the mother's finally got a name to which she can be referred to. Oh my god, I'm talking like the goddamn book now. Holy shit. That's very good. All all of our characters finally have names, which is great. <laughs> I don't think it will prevent the author from using epithets, but at least we know who the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't although we still have not established who Mr. Marchdale is and what he's doing here except that uh, you know, for roughly 3 paragraphs the mother did say that she knew him. I am worried that because Victorian's gonna Victorian, uh, that he will end up as, like, a suitor to Flora. Mr. Marchdale? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that at all. No, but that's- that's how the Victorians roll. Tell them to roll differently. I will. I will write them such a letter. <laughs> they- they will not be able to understand! Because it will be written <laughs> in the extreme so passive voice! <laughs> A letter so passive it shall circumnavigate the globe backwards before it ever reaches them. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Well, thank you all for joining us for this special presentation of Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. <laughs> Tune in next time for more spooky adventures and we figure out what exactly Mr. Marchdale has to say to the Bannerworths. And what he thinks of that portrait. Ooh.